We are going to ask ourselves, what does life between Jesus' first coming and his second coming look like for his church? Uh, you, could, you could put a lot of words in there to sum it up, and I'm not going to offer one summary word. There's just a bunch of them, but here's the one for tonight. It is faithfulness. That that's what our life looks like between his arrivals, is faithfulness. Let's turn together to Matthew 25. We'll bring the lights up for you so you can read it. Matthew 25 has three maybe uh, familiar um, parables that Jesus uses to help explain the kingdom. And there are a lot of interpretive uh, you know, possibilities here. And... Um, in thinking and praying toward this sermon, I just kept circling back to it. And in fact, I tried to not preach out of it because I feel like it's such a, a dense chapter that I just didn't, I wasn't well equipped, you know, to be able to speak from it. But I just kept coming back here, feeling like God was showing, uh, what, He was wanting me to highlight the, the threads of faithfulness that we're called to that are found here. And so I hope that this is uh, good for you. And for me, uh, look at look at verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they uh, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him uh, to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know, uh, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, so we'll hit pause right there. Um, we can get easily bogged down in, in you know, some of the details of the story. Uh, and you know, it doesn't matter, like the number five is insignificant. Uh, these were essentially bridesmaids, and the bridesmaids would wait with a bride. Um, after the engagement would, would happen, the bride would go to her parents' house, and she would wait. The, the groom would go to his parents' house and would begin to build an, a room onto the rest of the family, like on the, off the rest of the house, essentially. And uh, however long it took him to do that is how long she would wait. 
And so sometimes uh, the groom, you know, maybe he had the materials, maybe he had the money, maybe everything was in place and it went really fast. Other times he was delayed for various reasons. Um, it could be that he lived, you know, a, like 60 miles away and had to travel by foot. And so there's all kinds of reasons why the bridegroom, why the groom would be delayed. So the, the engaged bride would wait at her parents' house and her bridesmaids would essentially just wait with her. They would keep her company. They would uh, let her rest while they took watch uh, to just kind of wait. Because when the groom showed up, it could be in the middle of the night. You didn't know when it was. And that was not a moment that needed to be missed. And so that was a part of wedding customs in the first century. And so what Jesus is describing here is not some far-fetched thing to his original audience. This would have been very familiar to them. And the, the groom showing up and the, like some of the bridesmaids not being prepared would have been a very, like, a very negative situation. You would not want to be in that circumstance. And uh, as they would, the groom would show up, he would come and claim his bride. Then they would travel to his parents' house for the ceremony. And the bridesmaids would have their lamps. And everyone had to have a lamp and that was a part of being outside at night, and there's like a whole thing. And your lamp was like your, like you know now if you go to one of our, like a wedding here, the bridesmaids all have like the dresses on and the flowers and stuff, and that's like their, uh, and the groomsmen have their tuxes on, and that's kind of how you know who they are at the reception, let's say. Well, for them, it was these lamps that they were carrying, and that's how they got into the ceremony and the week-long feast and party that would happen. And so when they are like the foolish bridesmaids here, the fact that they were not prepared and they were not ready um, means that they missed out on the entire thing. And so if they show up at the party and they don't have lamps, uh, then it would be perfectly acceptable for the father to say, uh, you're not a part of this. You know, you, you can't come into this feast. And so this was like a very normal thing. And this parable tells us, uh, tells us a, number, a number of different truths. One of them is that our groom is going to be delayed. We know that now because it's 20, almost 17, right? Like we are familiar with that. But in the first century, they really weren't thinking that Jesus' return would be like super far off. And so we know he's going to be delayed. And we as the church are waiting like a group of bridesmaids and a bride sitting like, like in their lives, like just waiting to hear the call that the groom is coming, that it is time for the wedding. And that's, in, in part, what the church does. We are the bridesmaids. We are the engaged bride of Jesus. And he is building uh, his, like, um, he's building our dwelling Okay? Which doesn't mean that it's far away, all right? because the new earth will be here. It's a whole other thing. But he is preparing a place for us to go. And at some point, he will come and he will call to us. And we, as his church, are to be prepared and on alert. And we are to be anticipating that like the wise bridesmaids. So the lesson here is to, is to be like the wise ones and not like the foolish ones. And the difference was preparation and anticipation. They knew their role. The wise ones knew their role. They were ready for it. They embraced it. They were, 
they were focused in a sense, like they understood what was happening, and they were dialed into it. And so for us, faithfulness is in part about our preparation. It's about us like being the kind of people who wait in, like a, in a faithful and in a focused way. Um, we understand a lot of the things that, that what, it, what it means to wait wisely because we have this whole Bible in front of us that God uh, so graciously like, gives us instructions. He's like, here's, here's how you can wait. It's the same, uh, not the same, it's similar to the Old Testament waiting, but now we're in the New Testament version of that waiting. But he's very clear about some things. He tells us that we are to love you know, first we're to love God. I mean, that's the, the, the great commandment. It's, uh, it's the call to discipleship about self-denial and taking up our cross daily and following him. It's, it's that transformation into, uh, into our, our rabbi. It's the relationship with him. We understand that everything comes first from the vertical. That like loving Jesus, like that's a part of what our waiting looks like. That's what faithfulness means. And from loving him, we love other people. And that's the, the, the second great commandment. And, and it's for, it is for us to go and to serve and to bring the kingdom near. And there's all these things horizontally. And so he's informed us about waiting. And so there's a lot of things about our Christian community and all the rhythms of our community that are supposed to be helping us, shaping us, molding us into the kind of people who wait faithfully. Now, unlike, unlike some bridesmaids sitting around a room, you know, playing cards or whatever, you know, that's not what we're called to. The church is not called to just sit and just wait and twiddle our, our thumbs. We're called to, like, connect with God and connect with other people. Um, we know that holiness and becoming like Him is a part of that. We know that the, the disciplines, and, and, and He's given us specific ways to intentionally place ourselves in the pathway of His love and, and His grace and so he's told us about prayer, and he's given us the Bible, and he's connected us to community. And, and we know there's all these things that we know, and hopefully, hopefully, we are working together and striving and letting him mold us and shape us into those kinds of people. That's the assumption, is that we're all going for it, that we're all trying to be like the wise bridesmaids and not like the foolish ones. The foolish ones... There are plenty of people sitting in churches week after week after week that are like the foolish ones, you know. Like, think, think about, like, if you were to scan around the room, they're like, oh, they all have lamps. And at least at the first part of the parable, like, all the lamps are lit. And so it looks like they're all, like, dialed in. They're all going for it. You know, they're all, like, in it. But there are some who just... They either didn't really love what was happening. Yeah, they weren't into the whole thing. They didn't really think he would come anytime soon. Or they thought they could figure it out at the end. Or maybe they were lazy. Or maybe they were distracted. Or maybe they were, you know, who, who knows why they weren't prepared. But they weren't prepared. But they were sitting in the room. You know, they agreed to the same things. They just didn't take it very seriously. And when the bridegroom came, that was a tough day for them. And so for us, faithfulness, in part, means that we take this seriously. And so the disciplines and the first, the first commandment, the second commandment, all those kind of things are things we're working for. But something we don't talk about very often is, is, is what it means to really like 
long and expect, like long for and expect his return. That that's something that's like just stays on our radar. That there's a little bit of like, it could be today. Could it be today? Maybe. Maybe tomorrow. I mean, it could be at any moment. And for a long time, people, you know, they become obsessed with like what's happening in the Middle East and all these different prophetic ministries and all these books and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And they kind of miss the end of the parable where he's like, look, you don't know. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. A lot of those things are just, I don't know, kind of laughable, you know. It's not about knowing exactly when. If you knew when, if there was a countdown clock, then sure enough, we begin our act together as that clock ticked down, right? But he's like, no, you don't know when. So faithfulness is, the, is what you're called to, to long and to expect that. In Romans 8, um, Paul says, this is 22 and part of 24, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Paul says a part of our waiting is, it's a groaning it's like when you're, like, you're just really, really, really hungry and you're like not going to eat for another 45 minutes and your stomach's just like churning and churning and churning. It's a little bit of that, but it's that, that restlessness. you know. It's not one of those things where we're content of like, no, I have a pretty happy life. You know, like I, this is good and this is good and this is good. And these are some difficult things, but no, I'm, I kind of I don't really want him to come back yet because I kind of like what's happening. Jesus is like, no, that should never be the case. We should be content. We should live in joy and all those kind of things, yes. But keep on the radar the return of our groom. That we are to wait for that. And sometimes that means that we have to figure out how to suffer well. That's the, that's the, that's the prayer, you know, when, when something really bad happens and you see this and people, you know, are like, oh, Jesus, just come on back, you know. Just come into all this. That's a healthy prayer. It should also be a prayer in the good times. But there's something about suffering that makes us pray those Maranatha prayers that Paul talks about. That yes, Lord, come. Jesus, come quickly. And we should keep that on the radar. So those kinds of prayers come naturally to people who are greatly anticipating his arrival. So if you get like you come across something uh, on the news and it talks about something terrible that's happened, you know when a school bus crashes like a few weeks ago, or when Gatlinburg burns, or when that building uh, in uh, California that burned, like those kinds of things, it should evoke in us that prayer of "Yes, Lord, just come." We're so tired of this. It comes naturally when you're thinking about the second coming. On a regular basis, like a wise bridesmaid who's just hoping that today is the wedding day. But also, when things are good, it's, they pale in comparison to how good it will be on that wedding day. And so, the first part of chapter 25, I think, tells us that faithfulness involves us longing and anticipating and asking him to come in the good times, in the difficult times, that that's a part of, of our faithfulness 
is we are like the wise bridesmaids who are like, I hope it's today. I really hope it's today. I'm ready. I'm going to live as if it's today. And even if I don't see it with my own eyes, I'm going to live as though it's today. So then he goes on in chapter 25, a parable that I know I've taught on a few times. Verse 14 says, For it, meaning the kingdom of God, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. Okay, so talents, we're talking about money in this story. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he uh, also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his his master answered to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So faithfulness in the first parable was, was preparation and anticipating his arrival and uh, like building your life as though it was like today or as though it was tomorrow, uh, that being a regular, a regular thing. So we don't sit in the room and just twiddle our thumbs and wait. We, we are to do something. And so here Jesus offers this parable about uh, really, it's, a, it's essentially about, about being faithfulness in our stewardship of the things that are His, that He has entrusted to you and I. And so the story itself is about money, and so you know, it preaches really well about money, but, but really there's, a, there's plenty of room to broadly apply this. So if you were to take a, take, you know, make a list of all the things in the world that are God's, uh, everything in the world would be on it. If you were to take a list and put all the things that are yours on it, 
nothing in the world would be on it. So if, if we were to, to look at this parable in light of being, living between Jesus' two arrivals, then we have to look and say, okay, what has he entrusted to me like he has these guys in this story? He entrusted to them his property, his money. For God, he's entrusted to you your own life. You know, your, your very being. He's entrusted, uh, like the fact that he's saved you and he, Jesus died for you, that you are his. Um, he's entrusted you with uh, certain possessions and certain, uh, maybe, maybe it's, it's uh, your job or career or maybe it's, uh, it's, maybe it's close relationships, maybe it's, a, it's friendships, maybe it's a, a spouse, maybe it's children. Maybe it's money, maybe it's um, certain things that you are naturally gifted at, uh, ways that you are wired up, that your spiritual gifts, the way that God manifests in your life for the like, benefit of the church. Um, it could be your neighbors, it could be, uh, yeah, you, you name it, I could be here forever. And so all of those things are actually his. And so he looks at you and says, okay, you are going, I've entrusted this to you, and I've trusted this stuff to you, and this stuff to you, and um, some of that stewardship is shared. So like we as a church, we share the stewardship of certain things, but then some of it is, is, is an individual, and some of it is for ma- maybe married couples or friends or families. And, but all of it is the Lord's, and he's looked at you and says, okay, um, Jesus says, uh, I am going to go as your groom, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and while the bridesmaids are waiting, you're waiting in faithfulness. And rather than sit around a room and stare at each other, I'm going to give you certain things that are actually mine, but I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to trust them to you for you to go and you to do with those things what I would do if I was here. And so, you know, so here is, here's a plop of money. You know, here's a job. Here's a place to live. Here, here are a couple of kids. Here are some close friends. Here's a spouse. Uh, here's a street that you live on or an apartment complex. Or a, here's, a, here's a group project that I've made you a part of at school or on and on and on. So you do what I would do if, 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 the, if I was dealing with those things while I'm going to go do this other thing. And I'm going to download my spirit into you to empower you to know what to do in those things. But you just do that. And I'm going to go. And it's not a trick, you know. Like the master was not tricking these guys into their stewardship. He's like, here, you can handle this and you can handle this and you can handle this. I'm going to go. And at some point... There's accountability for our stewardship of the things he's entrusted to us. So at some point, you know, we're answerable of like, well, this was yours, and here's what I did with it. Now, two of these guys did exactly what the master would have done. He was very pleased. It brought a lot of joy to, his, to the master. He called them good. He called them faithful, Keyword. He said, come on, enter into the joy of your master. Come on in. And then the guy who buried it in the ground, he's like, no. That's not, that's not what this is about. And so do we, what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that God wants us to be faithful with the things that are entrusted to us. So we watched the video. And so there's, there's uh, Brenda who um, went through seminary, felt the call to go, prayed, went. And in the story, she's like, she didn't go to go open a bakery. You know, she like went to 
like be a good steward. Like God entrusted her with this call, and so she went. And she tells us, as I'm driving around, I noticed this, I noticed this, and I began to pray, and then God led me to this. And then he said, open a bakery, and then the women came, and then there's this, you wouldn't believe the stories that she has to tell. And so she simply took what God entrusted to her and said, okay, I'm not going to bury this in the ground. I'm going to do what you would do, which is say yes to the guidance of the Father. And she went. And so there she is doing her thing. We have Nabina and Matilda in the Hope of Life you know, children's home in Calcutta, and they did the same thing. It's not about exalting them. It's just like they just said yes. And you, you can say yes. You've said yes. What are we talking about? You've said yes. Some things are really easy to say yes to. You know, the easiest thing in the world to say yes to is is like when we do like like family dedication. You know, it's like yes, stewardship of these little ones. Yes, there are other things that are not quite as easy to say yes to. So if God were to say, "Hey, I want I want you to serve in a foreign land," start praying about that. What we discover is that sometimes it's easy to be like like the five guy or the two guy here with certain things and other things it's easy to be like the one and bury it in the ground. And so a part of our waiting is to really look and say, God, what have you entrusted to me and how can I do what you would do? Will you help me to know what those things are? And as someone in, in like in like vocational ministry and whatever that means, you know, uh, I understand that there are times when it's really clear you know exactly what to do. And there are plenty of times when you're like, God, I have no idea what, what this even looks like. I have no idea what to say, how to act, what to do. And a part of waiting is the asking. It's for them to think in this parable, what would the master do? We've watched him do it over and over and over again. What would the master do? And they did it. That's what Brenda did. That's what Nabina and Matilda have done. That's what some of you have done and continue to do. But we have to just be honest and say waiting between the first and second coming of Jesus is really difficult sometimes. And we have to embrace that challenge that is in front of us because, you know what, it's not a game. Like your stewardship of your finances is not a joke. Your stewardship of your time if you've been given prayer requests for like three years about how out of order your life is, then it's time to dig it up out of the ground and bring it before the Lord and say, how, what, what can I do with this? You know, If you've never tied the day in your life, then we, we need to talk about that. Get it out of the ground. If there are spiritual gifts, if there are interests, if you're not good with your neighbors, if you don't care about lost people, if there's all these things that you know he's called us to in between the advents that are buried, it's time to dig them up. And Advent makes us think about that stuff. It forces us to. Aren't you glad we have a month a year where we have to think about the really like just cruddy stuff that's going on in our in our world? And a part of the cry is we know that he's coming soon. We know that he's coming, but he's not here yet. So what do we do about it? We live as though he were here. We extend his ministry on the earth. That's what Brenda's doing, that's what Nabine and Matilda are doing, that's what we're doing. And we're striving to do it across the board. That we would have no lives that have a couple things buried in the ground, a couple things we're doing really well with, and then you know, back and forth. Just to be like, everything God has entrusted to me, I can boldly like, hold it out to him and say, here you go, here's what I did with it. It's, a, it's challenging. And so, 
you know, as as pastors at the at the church during Advent, you know, we always we talk about different ways to celebrate it together. Like, what can we do that is consistent with the waiting? Here we are between the first and second coming. How can everything we do connect with what this month is supposed to be about? How can we force ourselves to think about the the things in our world that we wish were gone, but they're not? How can we respond to that? And and what does life look like in between his comings? Well, the parable of the virgins tells us something, and the parable of the talents tells us something. And then there's this last one, which gets even darker. That's exciting, right? Verse, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in, all, uh, in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then we will sit on His glory, then He will sit, not we, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my, these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, uh, they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So... (laughs) So if the bridesmaids teach us about being faithful in our waiting and anticipating and just expecting like Jesus to come back, like that stays on our radar. We're, it's not a game to us. It's not a joke. We know what we're here for. We know what's coming. And we are highly, just, I mean, completely dialed into anticipating that day. And the parable of the talents teaches us that in the meantime, as we're waiting, how are we supposed to sit around the room and wait? Well, God entrusts stuff to us, and we are to go and to steward those things well. This one teaches us that a part of the going and a part of the stewardship is about being faithful in our, in our like, ministry to people. It's faithfulness in, in those that we encounter 
who have been pushed to the side. And so the, in this parable, the goats are saying like, hey, when did, when did we see you and did not respond in those kinds of ways? And some of what they're saying is like, it's be like the bridesmaid saying, well, if we had known you were coming, you know. Or the guy that buried the stuff in the ground just being like, well, I mean, if I had known exactly what you would do, I guess I could have done it. But, you know, you didn't leave me any instructions. You just gave it to me and you left. The goats are blaming Jesus. And they're saying, you know, well, if we had like maybe a more accurate timeline or if we're, you know, whatever. And Jesus is like, hold on, it's not my fault you didn't live with any sense of urgency. It's not my fault that you weren't paying attention because when there are people around you that are hurting, my church responds to them. That's what it means to be my people. It's what it means to be a part of my family. This is how it works. He says, so if you see someone and they are pushed to the side and marginalized and they are in need and you don't do anything about it, Jesus says that he takes it so personally that it's like you're doing it to him. It's like when you... You serve someone's child, and it's to a parent, it's like, it's like you're serving them directly. And those of you who are parents, and you, you probably know exactly what that, that means. It's so, it blesses you so much to have someone take care of your child. And Jesus is so connected to every person on the planet, made in his image. He's like, yeah, you look the other way on a need, it's like you're doing it to me. It's the same thing. And you see a need and you meet it. It's just like doing that to me. Notice he doesn't say like, he doesn't get overly detailed in the, in the parable, which I really love. You know, so we have a, we have a team that goes and, and serves breakfast every other week and, uh, out at Expressway Park. And, and I'm sure that anyone who's ever been a part of that ministry at times has walked away and just been like, how, how effective is this? This parable says it's really stinking effective. That Jesus is like, yes, thank you for feeding me this morning. He's like, it's not really about results. It's not about like big revivals that are coming. It's not about, and all those things are very important. Those things are good, but we get so, we're so pragmatic. We get so hung up in stuff. And it's like, who cares if, if, if you give, if you give some, someone a dollar who's, who's, Asking for money on the side of the road. Who cares if they go and, and buy alcohol with it? You know, I'm not trying to understand. There's a call for wisdom, that kind of stuff. But let's just let's realize how pragmatic we've become. Where we've tried to talk ourselves out of maybe meeting a legitimate need. And it's really not about, it's not about that. Now, do I give everybody money to ask for it? No. There's wisdom in there somewhere. And sometimes you just got to ask. But can we just maybe admit the fact that that sometimes when it comes to, to caring for people, we get a little too hung up in asking ourselves, what kind of difference does it make, really? So I go back to, uh, to Brenda, going into those shops that, that she calls them, going into those shops and bringing scones. Would you like a scone? Here's like a very, and if you know her, like she's very much an American person. Like it's, there's no blending in in Southeast Asia for her. She walks into a bakery, I mean a, a, a shop, and there's all these girls, you know, maybe the guy running the place or whatever. And it's like, hey, would you like some scones? And can I pray for you as you are perusing which ones you would like? And can I speak the name of Jesus in this really dark place? Do you think she ever wondered how effective is this really being? You know, how much of a difference am I making? Of course. 
And I think Jesus would whisper to us, hey, it's your faithfulness. It's your faithfulness. It's not about the results. It's not about all the things that, that especially Americans tend to get hung up on. It's just be faithful. Look for people who are hurting. Ask me how to help them. And help them. It's what he did in his first coming. Just do what he did. It's how we wait. It's the life of a bridesmaid. Waiting for the groom to come. We look at what he's entrusted to us. We go about our lives being stewards of those things. Looking for people pushed to the side. And we respond. And that's what our Monday looks like. And that's what our Tuesday looks like. And our Wednesday. And that's what life looks like for us. That's what your kids should grow up into. This natural rhythm of, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing when we're waiting. We're loving God. We're loving people. We're realizing that all good gifts come from Him. In order to meet our needs and the needs of other people. To build the church and to bring the kingdom near to everyone, and we have a special, a special like radar for those who are hurting to figure out how to help them. And sometimes that's directly, uh, and sometimes that's indirectly, and sometimes it's through the church, and sometimes it's just through you as a person. And there's all these different ways to do that, but that's just the normal rhythm of what bridesmaids do when they're waiting for the groom to come. And so when you get to that last verse of a good old Southern Baptist hymn, when it talks about the, the hymn coming back, like we hold on to that. like We want that to happen, but um, we live as though it's tomorrow, but uh, there's no assumption. And so that kind of urgency and that, all those things, that's a part of, of Advent, is for us to think about the things we would rather not think about. But to also get excited about the fact that like, he's not left us to this forever. This is not what it's going to be about for eternity. That there is an end coming to that stuff. Like there will not be school bus crashes on the new earth. And there will not be forest fires. And there will not be uh, shootings that happen senselessly. And there will not be racism. There will not, there'll be no argument over, is Jesus the candidate for king that we really wanted in the first place? None of that kind of stuff is going to happen no children's homes, no uh, brothels to take scones into, no safe houses, none of that kind of stuff. We will not be raising money for missions. None of those kind of things will be happening on the new earth. But until then, that's what we're called to. That's who we are. And so what do we do? We throw a Christmas party. We buy gifts. We have wish lists. We have a potluck. We have Santa Claus come in. We do that. That's who we are. We take up an offering on the 18th for Hope of Life, for a children's home in Calcutta, for kids that will probably never, like most of you will never meet them on this side of heaven. It's what we do. A part of the, the, the tithe, like the money that you give to the church, we take a part of that, and there's 10% of, 10, if 10% of what comes to you is supposed to go to the church, then 10% of what comes to the church goes out again to the church. So we tithe on the tithe. And a part of what we do is we stockpile money for missionaries and different needs that come up. And so we're going to give a chunk of money to Brenda to help pay the rent at the bakery and to help buy the supplies and buy all those kinds of things. We're going to take your money and send it to her to connect us to what we're doing through this big uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering that the IMB does. And we can give directly to Brenda. So we're going to do that because that looks like Jesus. That's what we do when we wait. 
And so for you, your faithfulness with all of those things, wrap it all up into one thing, that's what life looks like between his arrivals. And I hope that that excites you. I hope, I hope that just, just the goodness of Jesus to, to download his spirit into us, to guide us through all of those things that our waiting is not done in a clueless way, it's not done with uninformed faith, that he has completely set us up for, to bring the kingdom near everywhere we go. If he comes back tomorrow, that would be phenomenal. But if he doesn't, can our Monday look like that's the day? You know, Can we live as if there really is like a countdown ticker or something, as if we knew? Can the urgency spike for us? Maybe that's a part of what the early church fathers had in mind, uh, or whoever the geniuses were that came up with the church calendar. Maybe that's what they were thinking is, hey, we would rather push these things to the side, but instead we're going to put them like right in full view, believing that that's what Jesus has for us. So, um, where it fits into your Advent, I don't know. Um, we've been uh, you know, kind of talking all semester about this relationship with God and all these kind of things, but God here with us, like he's not entrusted something to you and then taken off, really. He's still with you, it's just not bodily. The groom has informed the bridesmaids. The, like our groom is showing us who the hurting people are. Like him being with us is huge. And so in a second, as we respond uh, in song and in taking communion, you can come pray down here. But, but think about what we do at communion. Here's like Taylor's going to come and serve tonight. and he's, he's representing Jesus, offering his life to us. And we're saying, that, that's what I need. That's what I need to be a faithful bridesmaid who's waiting. It's what I need to not be the, the guy that buries all your stuff in the ground. That's who I need to pay attention to, to when image bearers of God are hurting and pushed to the side. All of those things, I, I need his grace. I need him with me. And he's offering, saying, here, here you go. Body and blood, here it is. And so as we respond and as we sing, maybe this can just continue to galvanize some things for us during Advent. I hope that's the case. Let's, let's stand together um, as I pray.